Welcome back to a new season of We Are YA. I'm your host, Felicity, and joining me this season will be some of our biggest names in young adult literature, including New York Times bestsellers, brand new debut voices, and a whole lot more as we explore their latest works, their career so far, and just what it's like to be an author in 2020. My guest today is Ashley Woodfolk. Ashley has loved reading and writing for as long as she can remember. She graduated from Rutgers University with a Bachelor in Arts and worked in children's book publishing for 10 years. She wrote her first novel, The Beauty That Remains, from a sunny Brooklyn apartment where she lives with her cute husband, her cuter dog, and the cutest baby in, her, in the world, her son Nico. When We Were Everything is her second novel, and she recently contributed to an anthology, A Phoenix First Must Burn, and her latest series, Fly Girls, was just released this September. Ashley, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to I'm just, as I'm going through your bio, there's just so many things that you've got sort of in the pot working on that I'm just So like, many things. <laughs> <laughs> but it's great. That's, I'm so excited for you for all of those reasons and more. But first of all, for readers who don't know anything about your latest series, Fly Girls, can you tell me a little bit about it? Yeah. Um, so Fly Girls follows four Harlem teenagers um, who go to an art school that I made up <laughs> called Augusta <laughs> Savage School of the Arts. Um, and each girl in the friend group, each of the Fly Girls, um, has their own sort of focus that they're doing at the school. So their own art that they're focused on. Um, mm -hmm. Lux, who is the star of the first book, um, she is a photographer, and Micah, who is the star of the second book, she is an, a visual artist, so like a painter, but she does other kinds of visual art as well. Mm -hmm. um, and each book follows a different girl in the friend group and sort of whatever their challenges and struggles are that they're dealing with, usually something related to school, something related to family, and something related to their friendships or relationships as well. Um, mm -hmm. Try to get it all in there. Yeah. <laughs> in, um, a ver in a very tight, short, compact little page count. Indeed, too. indeed. <laughs> well, and the, in the industry, this series is kind of described as a high-low series. And right. I'd, actually, I'd never heard of that term before. So can you explain what that means? And, but also why you wanted Fly Girls to be written this way? Sure. Um, so it's interesting. Whenever I'm talking about these books, I always forget to say that. But yeah, they're all, <laughs> they're all very short. So each book is 150 pages or less. Mm -hmm. um, and they are written that way specifically for um, reluctant readers. So kids who don't necessarily like to read or kids who have just not found something that really captivated their attention yet. Um, I, I, I'm not crazy about the term reluctant reader just because yeah. I I feel like if you give a kid the right thing, they will read it. Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Not ev not every kid is is super bookish, but I think that all kids, um, all people, really, if if you give them the right thing, um, they'll they'll definitely like read and get really into it. So, um, so yeah, high, the term high low means um, high concept, low either low reading level or low page count. I can't remember, <laughs> but it, it basically means that um, the book, the plot is really tight um, so that you can read it very quickly. Yeah. Um, so I, I thought it was important to write a series like this just because I know there's so many kids out there who sort of need that gateway drug in a way mm -hmm, to mm -hmm, get into mm -hmm. reading. And um I would love to, I would love for one of the books that I write um, to be the reason why a kid 
starts to read or learns to love reading or even just like likes to read a few books like yeah um that is really really appealing to me that's the reason I wanted to write this series there's also another series called Blueford High that came out um I feel they might still be coming out actually I don't actually know but it was a series that my younger cousins were Mm -hmm. modeled fly girls after that series and I think people might be more familiar with with Blueford High. Um, and if you've heard of that or you like those books, then you'll definitely like Fly Girls. I did I did hear so I did read a review with someone talking about Blueford High is like this is mm. that like mm-hmm. this is very much in that zone. So mm-hmm. and for me, I think one of the things I loved about Fly Girls was that it was and I'm gonna use air quotes to say easy and you kind of touched on it yourself with it's tight, it's compact, but mm-hmm. you didn't soften the content. Like these girls are facing real problems. You've got divorced or unreliable parental figures, you've got mm-hmm. anger and grief or mental health and even sex. Mm-hmm. how do you balance that in terms of knowing that you're writing for a certain audience how do you bring in those heavier concepts in such a tight way well I think I think the I think the mistake that a lot of publishers and and even sometimes authors make is they think that they have to sort of soften things or like dumb things down in order for kids to read it and understand it or in order for parents not to um, sort of try to keep things away from their kids. Mm. And I personally think you have to meet kids where they are. And there are so many kids who are dealing with, you know, really serious things like mental health, like grief, like Mm. sex. Um, Mm. And I think that we miss a lot of kids when we try to make books that are sort of PG rated or books that aren't, aren't touching on the things that they're actually thinking about and the things that they're worrying about and the things that they're dealing with. Um, I think as far as fitting it into a shorter book like this, you just kind of have to get to the point. You can't really mince, <laughs> mince your words. Um, and every sentence sort of have, has to be doing either character work or plot work. So I just had to make sure. And I mean, my, my editor helped a lot with this because I'm naturally extremely long-winded. Um, <laughs> but I just had to make sure that if I had a sentence that it was doing something. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, either moving the plot forward or revealing who a character was in some way. I've got, I've just got visions of you like literally breaking each sentence apart and kind of like, nope, it's not enough. Or yep, no, it's yeah. Gotta, yeah. <laughs> Take that I mean, one ta- it definitely got to that point because like with with um with one or two of the books I was a little bit over the word count Mm -hmm. and so I had to um you know my my editor emailed me and she's like hey like we need to cut you know 20 sentences from this book (laughs) like find them or or she would say like um you know look at the chapters that are only a little bit over um an extra page and then like look at those chapters and see what we can cut. Um, I think what I really loved about the, the book was for Lux and Micah was seeing them grow not only a reaction to sort of the plot around them, but within themselves. Like I think Lux had these anger issues that she was dealing with and Micah particularly her panic attacks and her anxiety. The way you handled them was so beautiful. And again, I keep coming back to it, but in such a short page count. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that, yeah. Like that's, that's a real, that's a real skill that you've, you've shown. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, it definitely <laughs> wasn't me alone. Like my editor helped so much and she was really about um, sort of bringing me back to the characters having both an internal and an external struggle. 
Um, she was really mm-hmm. good at asking me questions about, well, like, how would Lux feel in the situation? Or how would Micah feel um, in this situation? How would they react? And how would their reactions be different sort of as they grew and sort of started to see, you know, what they had been doing wrong and the mistakes that they have been making in the past? Um, and so, so yeah, it wasn't, it, it did not come naturally to me, <laughs> um, <laughs> but it was, it was with guidance and sort of getting used to writing in these, in these shorter, um, these shorter page counts that, um, it sort of came together over time. Yeah. And, and is it harder to write because you know that there's four books coming and mm-hmm. you know that which kind of, go, which kind of characters you're going to be writing about, mm-hmm. is it harder to write each of these books individually and not think about what does that set up for that character or what is that, you know, like you almost want to slip into their shoes for a little bit and just give them some love? Yeah. I mean, I think that what I've, what I did a little bit in each book was gave a slight little Easter egg, I guess, to, mm-hmm. to the next book. Um, nothing crazy and probably nothing that anyone would notice on a first reading. Um, but if, if, if these become the book, the kinds of books that people come back to again and again, I think that there are new little moments that they will notice, um, like maybe a character saying something or reacting to something in a way that makes sense once you read that character's book. Yeah. 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 No, definitely. I, I say it now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm like, yes, actually, now that you say that, yes. Um, well, and setting this, you said it yourself, setting in the fictional gifted art school in Harlem, but still yeah. um, a gifted art school, it allows you to look at different artistic passions. Mm-hmm. Did you have a favourite or was it something that was completely not something you've ever done but really wish you could have done? Hmm. Did I have a favourite art, you mean? Yeah. To write about or like me personally? Well, um, that's a double question. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think the ones that were the most fun to write about were the last two. So um, I'm still working on Tobin, which is the last book in the series. And Noel is the third book in the series, which is done done now, but doesn't come out until March of next year. Um, Mm -hmm. And I liked writing those the most because both of them are musicians, but in different ways. Um, Noel plays the cello and... um, Tobin is a singer and I am just someone who really really loves music if you read my other two novels like they are full of music um and I just really really enjoy writing about music because I almost feel like the only way to the only other way to um experience music other than literally listening to it I think is to read about it because Mm-hmm. at least at least at least that's how I feel like when I read about a musical um piece or a concert or um something musical happening I can almost hear it and so it's really fun for me to write about music um so I really really and I I do not play an instrument um <laughs> I don't <laughs> I don't sing um I like have taken lessons for like multiple instruments over the course of my life, but I never stuck with one. Um, <laughs> but I really, really which instrument? Which which instrument? Yeah. Um, so I, when I was a kid, I played the saxophone. Um, when I was a little bit older, I played the clarinet. Um, in college, I started taking guitar lessons. I actually still have a guitar in my bedroom that I literally haven't Ooh. opened in like probably five years. 
Um, I think I, it's just like this part of my personality that I'm like, I could totally be a musician and I'm like unwilling to let go of it. (laughs) Um, but I haven't actually done anything to actually become a musician. So yeah, I think I'm, I think I'm like, it's like wish fulfillment to write about, um, someone who is playing or playing music or singing music or performing, um, yeah, I've always I've always wanted to do that, but I've never actually done it. <laughs> well, I, this, the great thing about writing it is that you can just you know they strum the guitar and it's automatically perfect. Like no lessons needed. Mm-hmm. Bang, there you go. <laughs> exactly. I think music is hard to write about. I, as a reader, I love reading about it, but I just I'm in awe of authors who can do that, who can write, especially fictional music where there's like the song that you've never heard, hard enough to actually mm-hmm. write a song, but to actually write a book about it, like wow. But I, to, yeah. to hear that you hear it. I, yeah, I love it. I like in, in my first book, The Beauty That Remains, like there's a lot of live shows. There's a lot of people just like listening to music and sort of using music as an escape. Um, and I think maybe because I also use music as an escape, it's very easy for me to like write about what it is like to hear a, the, just the right song at just the right moment. Yeah. Um, and then in um, When You Were Everything, it's like a similar kind of thing where she is listening to a lot of music to escape but those are she's listening to like actual real songs that like exist in the world yeah. um, <laughs> um so so yeah probably to to answer your question um probably probably the last two books were my favorite to write just because of of the musical elements in them yeah nice nice well yeah in a completely abrupt shift in gears You've been you've been around the writing and publishing industry for a while, and for many reasons, 2020 has felt like a bit of a watershed moment, both good but also bad. What has it felt mm-hmm. like for you, as someone who's sort of been on the inside as an author as well as worked in the industry? Um, I mean, that's an interesting question. I feel like, honestly, publishing has been the last thing on my mind in 2020. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, fair. <laughs> Um, but I do think that people are paying more attention to the conversations that are happening around, um, you know, things like, uh, unequal pay between, you know, creators of color versus everyone else. Mm -hmm. Um, I think people are paying more attention to how much representation matters. Um, I think that it's a moment where, you know, there is sort of this, um, this global almost recognition that, you know, Black people are not okay, um, and are not okay in a lot of different ways. And I mean, I feel like this was the first year that people were actually talking about Juneteenth Mm. on a more... Um, a more national level than people had talked about it before. I mean, I even didn't even know about it until like four or five years ago. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I and I think a lot of people only heard about it um, this year. Mm. And so I and so I think that um, I think that that I think that publishing tends to pay attention to what's happening in the zeitgeist and um, any kind of major shifts in in culture and conversation. And so. I guess my hope is that this um, this year will be a sea change as far as the kinds of creators that are getting a voice, um, getting a loud voice. Mm. Um, 
And I don't know, I guess I feel, I feel hopeful that things will actually change because I feel like we've been saying like, we need diverse books for like a very long mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. um, but, but I kind of feel like people are taking it a little bit more seriously um, after, you know, they were sort of stuck in their homes and they had to pay attention to what was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's kind of, and, and I mean, I think, I think on the, on the flip side to, I think a lot of a lot of a lot of people are reading more um, because they just have more time to read, and um, you know there's sort of this movement to save indie bookstores, and I think there's just like a lot more conversation happening around literacy and you know libraries and kind of we as a as a as a world almost are. I think our values are shifting a little bit and we're realizing, oh, like, you know, like USPS, like this was something that I took for granted for so long. And like, now we might lose it. Um, And, you know, things like libraries, things that are sort of free and, and for everyone or low cost and for everyone. Um, Indie bookstores, which are, you know, places so important to communities, especially communities that don't have a lot of access to books otherwise. Mm. Um, I think that people are just paying more attention and and I hope that that lasts. I hope yeah. it's not something that everybody forgets as soon as they can, you know, sort of go back to the office and, and go to happy hour again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. And I think, yeah, I absolutely agree with you in terms of I think people have been made to think about it. I'm, I'm hopeful too that it feels like there's a, there's a people who realise they need to work at it um, and that, yeah. are, that, that communities of colour have been working for a long time and now it's, mm-hmm. now it's time for, for, you know, the white publishing authors and uh, staff and employees to actually work as well and not just, yeah. uh, I... just recognise that, oh, it's a problem. Yeah, and I think that I hope that it um, it goes beyond creators and also goes into, you know, the office mm. as well. Like I, I hope that there are more people of color hired for various positions and sort of given those opportunities. And I mean, it's already starting to happen. Um, and you know, there've been a couple of women of color who've sort of been giving mm-hmm. given more powerful um, positions. And I don't mean given as in like no. they didn't earn it. Yeah. Like. Like they've been appointed in a position that they should have had, you know, yes. for a while. Um, so, so yeah, I think I think that things are changing. I hope that they can we sort of continue to move in this direction um, because it's about time. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, that's 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 fair. And moving in directions too. You are one of the busiest writers I know in that you've always got like three or four things on the go. So we talk, you said there's two more Fly Girls books coming, Noelle and Tobin. What else mm-hmm. What else are you working on that you can kind of hint or share or talk about? Yeah, <laughs> so many things, so many things. Um, so something that's already been announced is I'm working on a Barack and Michelle Obama biography. Oh. Um, yeah, it's the first time that I'm ever doing nonfiction. So it's been really, really, really hard. Whoa. Um, probably the most challenging thing I've ever done as a writer. Um, and and I mean, it's even more challenging because obviously like these people are extremely important to me and I want to make sure that I'm doing, 
doing their story justice, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I'm writing the the biography for a younger, um, a younger audience. It's a YA biography. And so I want to make sure it's also like very accessible. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's been really difficult to balance. Um, and it's been very difficult to write, <laughs> especially with everything else that's happening, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm working on that. Um, it is very late, but you know, we're doing what we can do. That's, that feels like publishing in general. It's just the way it goes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Um, I have a thing that I probably shouldn't be talking about because it has not sold to anyone. Like I'm not even on submission yet, but, um, <laughs> I wrote a novel, I wrote a novel in verse, um, Ooh. that I'm, uh, yeah, that I'm actually really excited about it. It's super gay. Um, and I'm hoping that somebody snatches that up soon. Uh, I feel like this um, is the call out to every agent who's listening. He's like, <laughs> right, boom, here we go. Um, and then I have uh, an, an, another anthology that's happening next year called um, Battle of the Bands. And um, I have a short story in that one. Um, that was super fun to write. Like, you know, like I mentioned, I love writing about music. Yep, so. yep, yep. So that was great. Um, and then there's another anthology that's coming out next year that hasn't been announced yet. It's going to be really a really big deal. So look for that soon. Um, and then what else do I have going on? That might, I love you. Like what else? Right? Like that isn't enough. <laughs> that might that might be it actually. Just um, just a couple of books on the go. <laughs> yeah, just a couple. So, so yeah. <laughs> well, so my next set of questions may be redundant in that I was going to ask you, we do a little rapid fire game of what, what are you, what's the best last thing, but do you have time to watch anything? So what's the best last thing that you watched? Can be TV or a movie. Yeah. So I feel like since, um, since the pandemic happened, I've been returning to a lot of things for comfort. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I've, I've been right. I've been watching a lot of rom-com. Yeah. No. <laughs> um, so my favorite, like my go-to rom-com is Notting Hill. Yeah. Um, and I, I freaking love that movie. Um, and I also have been watching this show called Terrace House on Netflix, um, which is which is very, very, like I feel like British shows and um, Terrace House are sort, <laughs> of my, like, are sort of my go-to. So Terrace House is a Japanese show. Um, where it's it's sort of like Japanese real world, except for there is zero drama and everybody's really polite. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds amazing. So, it's, so it's delightful. Um, and it's like, and like the whole, like people come on this show to like fall in love. Like that's the Aww. whole thing. Japanese people apparently are incredibly romantic. Um, and so like they get really excited anytime people hold hands and oh. it's just like so pure. That's what we need. And some softness in yeah, the Exactly. It is so incredibly soft. Um, and all, everybody cares about each other so much. Like, they get mad when, like, somebody's not being the best version of themselves. So they're, like, you, like, they give each other all these pep talks. Like, you could be doing better. Like, you said you came here to follow your dreams. But, like, are you actually following your dreams? Oh and I'm, like, God. I want friends like that. <laughs> <laughs> or I guess random roommates like that. I was like, going to say. Have friends like that. Will but, they accept some yeah. random American and an Australian coming in? Because I'll go. <laughs> <laughs> there are sometimes foreigners there. Oh. Um, 
but it's pretty rare. And they're all like fluent in Japanese. Okay. That's, um, I need to skill up on that one. Yeah. Well, Sorry, that wasn't rapid fire at all. <laughs> no, no, no. It's not a clock situation. So it's okay. <laughs> what is the best last thing that you read? So I've, I've been listening to a lot of audiobooks. Um, but the last thing that I like read read um, was Grown by Tiffany Jackson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, that book is off the charts crazy intense but really really good mm-hmm. um and I also read um Each of Us a Desert by Mark Oshiro and that book is just like pure poetry it's it's the way that I've been pitching it to people is it's like the giver but queer and Latinx oh that's a good pitch <laughs> but it's like but it's like like what would happen if Jonas like after Jonas left the community oh. it's like it's like that um, but also queer and Latinx. Oh my god, I love it! Yes, <laughs> this is like I feel like you should yeah. you should just do Ashley Wolfe does her like three line three comps on books. <laughs> we could just go through yeah, all of them. So, well, and then speaking yeah. speaking of listen to, you said you listen to a lot of audiobooks. What's the best thing you I last do. last listened to? I listened to um, Red, White, and Royal Blue, oh, which was so a delight. Sweet. I cried so many times when I was listening to that book and it's like a rom-com but like I was just like crying because it was so sweet is that the first time you've like read or listened to it um yes (gasps) yeah so I yeah um but I I was looking for like comfort reads you know and I yeah and I asked someone and they recommended it um yeah so I've been I've been listening to that and it's great. I, I, I read it originally. So I, I've got the audio and I started to listen to it. And I, it's not the same because the voices in my head are different because I had them in my head. Oh, yeah. So yeah, yeah, it's yeah. good. It's just not. And I think it's I that way. That. Yeah. Like it's just, uh, but it's such a beautiful book. I love that book. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's lovely. Yeah. Well, Ashley, thank you so much for joining me today on We Are YA. Of course. Thank you for having me. <laughs> and Fly Girls, Lux and Micah are available now, as well as A Phoenix First Must Burn, which is edited by Patrice Cordwell, The Beauty That Remains, and When You Are Everything. Tomorrow, Crystal Sutherland, author of Chemical Hearts and the upcoming House of Hollow, joins me in the show to talk about the film adaptation process, being on set and seeing your book turned into a movie, and what it's like to hang out with Lily Reinhardt. We'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>